Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. I have three brand new guests on. I have Cynthia Misfit. I have Holly Hayes and Randy Hayes on. And they have the website Justice for Betty Hayes. What had happened was their niece abducted their mother on May 1st, 2021. And Cynthia filed for guardianship, not knowing how corrupt it really is. Her mother's guardian ad litem refused to talk to her or her brothers and never came to her home where her mother lived for over two years. Her niece had her mother sign a revocation of her power of attorney after having dementia for five years. The niece also notarized it. Now, the family has been isolated from their mother for over a year, as well as 27 family members. They went to New York State Capitol on May 23rd, 2021, to introduce a new bill called Carolyn's Law that would prevent isolation of family in a guardianship. Her niece got a personal protection order against them. Also, she could isolate their mother further. She even tried to have Cynthia arrested when she was at the hospital with her son, who had a brain condition and had just had a seizure. She has over $100,000 in legal fees. Probate court took her mother's $275,000 protected trust and are paying the guardian ad litem court-appointed attorney Terry Jordan, and the Guardian Family Option Services attorney Bruce Rice, all from the trust. And I welcome you to the show, Cynthia and Holly and Randy. Uh, Welcome. I'm sorry it's not under better circumstances. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Mm -hmm. How are things at this point? How are they going? Randy, you can start. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we're possibly may have visitation now. We got to come up with another order. Uh, we think from all the publicity we're getting that they're feeling the crunch. So we believe we might get visitation twice a week for six hours at a time, but it's two and a half hours from me. So not where she used to be. Cindy was 45 minutes from me. So that's the latest so far, but. As far as my trip mom's trust, we don't know where the money's going or what the lawyers are getting paid right now. Oh, and another okay. note is my niece abducted her when me and my sister were in Alabama visiting my dying aunt who passed away a couple months after we seen her. So she knew exactly what to do. And she, we were told that she worked for probate court too, Wayne County, the same court we're in too. She, she was a, she's a paralegal too. Well, her notarizing, you know, this, this document that's, you know, it's against the law, right? Yeah. yeah. And the, the judge and judge says, well, she didn't know she couldn't do it. So they're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that right there is a crime. The abduction's a crime. Having her just sign the paperwork is another crime because she has dementia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Trying to present it at the court to access, not at the bank to access her account. It's another crime because the bank manager labeled it as uh, fraud. He froze the account. So she didn't get the money. She showed up at the bank with my mom in the car to present her revocation power attorney at the drive-thru while my sister was in the bank. 
So we mm -hmm. were lucky enough to beat her to the bank because otherwise she was probably going to have my mom start writing checks to her. And the bank manager was the one that alerted us to that, alerted me, because I was the one in there with him, that she wasn't allowed to uh, notarize this document because I didn't know. And he starts looking at it with me in the room and he's like, well, she, who's, she can't notarize for her own grandmother. You can't do that. And he started checking all these things off and he said, you know, this is fraud. And he was going to send it up to the fraud department. And he, he was, uh, said he would um, mark all these things on the account. So if she tried to go to a different bank, she wasn't going to be able to get anything. Well, she's getting something out of this. Well, she thought, I think, she was going to get all the money because she mm -hmm. that's what she tried to do was to present this document at the bank, which would have put her in control of all my mother's money. She had my mom's um, Social Security check mailed to her house without mm -hmm. any fiduciary power. So she just, you know, somehow called Social Security and changed my mom's address to her address because I never got another check after she moved. But Cindy, uh, one second, she, and she did not have fiduciary power of attorney, so she also committed another crime. Right. And she um, also got my father's pension. And I don't know if she called, you know, he worked for Ford Motor Company. We're not sure if she called them or, you know, wrote them or how she was able to get that. But now since there is a guardian, they've made her start giving them the money. But before, before the guardian was appointed, she was getting the checks she, and she cashed them somehow. Again, that's fraud. Mm -hmm. My mom has dementia. She doesn't have fiduciary power. She can't you know, cash her stuff. She has no ID for my mom either because she said my mom has no ID. So how could she even take a notary from her without an ID and how could she even go to the bank without any ID for my mom? So no, the bank doesn't know who my mom is. And right. also the lawyers who wrote up the paperwork for the revocation, when you have an 86-year-old person, you need to have a doctor's note stating that this person is of sound mind because she obviously is not of sound mind. She doesn't even know what year it is. She forgets that her husband passed away and it's only been two and a half years. And she forgot that he passed away right in front of her uh she forgets you know uh she's asked about dogs that have passed away 20 years ago so anyone that even allowed her to sign that any legal person that allowed her to sign that revocation of power attorney also committed a crime because they did not have a letter from a medical doctor to state she was of sound mind and body and plus we even have text messages from my niece uh before we moved we moved them into my sister's house saying that my mom was crazy, not in her sound mind. Anybody tries to change anything is crazy to do it because she's not mentally sound. So we have all the text messages from her and my sister showing that they knew she was not in sound mind. But the courts won't do nothing about it. They don't care. We've given them all the documents, the dementia diagnoses. Um, the text messages, the revocation of power attorney paperwork, they don't, they just don't care. They can't make any money unless they got other lawyers involved and dragged us out. We, we thought that we were going to get somewhere when we were in um, court for the uh, personal protection orders because that judge saw through all the corruption. 
all the you know games she was playing and he said clearly she has dementia because they tried it they tried to parade her in that courtroom and because they did it they got away with it in um wayne county probate but when we went out to jackson for the ppos he said you can clearly see she has dementia and you cannot change power of attorney when someone has dementia and he gave us visitation and when he gave my my sister-in-law holly who's on the phone um you know on the call he gave her visitation as well as my son and she didn't she did not allow them to go to visit with my mother so that judge brought her back into court for contempt and she was going to be uh, arrested we heard but then the guardian ad litem got wind of it and same with the um court appointed attorney terry jordan and then melinda cameron and they showed up on the zoom and they told the judge that he did not have authority to give um visitation that we were in probate court and he didn't it ended she wasn't arrested um he just uh, released the um, the whole um, personal protection orders. And then the next time we went to court, Terry Jordan and Melinda Cameron tried to sanction us for asking for visitation with this other judge. <laughs> like we had committed a crime or something. She mm -hmm. brought us to that court. We didn't bring us to that court. She did by you know giving us personal protection orders. And the reason why Rachel was able to get PPOs she got three PPOs and she tried to get a PPO on me. The reason why she was able to get those was because Jackson County has no rules as to um, stipulations on getting a PPO. You apply for a PPO, you get it. So that you don't have to have any police records. You don't have to have any complaints. She was sad. We made her sad. Therefore, she was able to get three PPOs, tried to get a fourth one on me which was her way to isolate us from our mom because we could not go to her home then and take her our mom out of there and she had called the jackson county or the jackson county sheriff's department gave them a sob story they believed her never even ever helped us with anything trying to get our mom home when her driver's license all her mail has cindy's address on it so she didn't even belong there she didn't live there and the police would not escort her home. In fact, she called the police and said that we were harassing her because we had done welfare checks. She abducted our mother. My mother has congestive heart failure. Mm -hmm. She's diabetic. She's got um, dementia, all these, and, and she's been abducted by my niece who will not bring her home and we're calling on welfare checks because obviously we're worried sick about our mother and she used that against us in court and he tried to have a sanction for that and then the sheriff in jackson county called my 30 year old daughter at the time and and said to her um you're harassing your uh grandmother calling um oh not even that not even for the um welfare check that was just calling her grandmother trying to talk to her and then uh then they called my son who's a police officer and tried to yell at him and he's like wait a minute i'll I, i'm calling my grandmother you know i'm a police officer i'm not harassing anyone it's not harassment to want to speak to your grandmother so then i think he was like he finally realized like something's wrong with this situation and 
you the know. Sheriff, the sheriff contacted me and Cindy and said that we're violating our PPOs because we were having other people call and trying to talk to their grandmother, which we never did. You know, my kids 19 and 17 at the time trying to talk to their grandmother and they're trying to say we put them up to it, which is total. My, my kids were married with kids of their own. So mm -hmm. I mean, how am I responsible for them calling their grandmother, you know? Mm -hmm. But then uh, the first night my niece took her, the very first night she told her that we sold her house and we told her we weren't gonna tell my mom that we sold the house because she didn't need to know that. And she said, they stole all your money too. They said me and Cindy stole all her money. So what was she doing at the bank if my mom didn't have any money? Right. So my mom was furious because she told her we stole the money, but she had two hundred seventy-four thousand dollars in the bank. She didn't. She had plenty of money. Doing, you know, anything they could because when someone has dementia, it's all about money to them for some reason. Mm -hmm. My father was the same way. My father was accusing everyone of stealing from him all the time and just stupid things. He accused my sister of stealing his toenail clippers. And we all laughed it off like that's, you know, hysterical that you would steal toenail clippers. Well, now, obviously, she's, you know, she's worth with our niece in this whole thing. So, I don't know. It's just that's a big a nightmare. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, it's and right, our family. Prior, prior to this happening, she sent Cindy a 14-page letter, and she said in the letter, um, does Grand know that you cleaned her house out and that Randy cleaned her house out and that you guys sold it? So we knew she gave us a lead up to what she was going to do. We feel like it was her manifesto of what she was going to do, you know, by asking, does she know you sold her house? Yet she went to the house, had, took my father's boat, took my father's, my mom and dad's swing that they had in the backyard, took uh, my father's retirement clock from his 43 years at Ford Motor Company, which she didn't have permission to take that. And then she took anything she wanted. They did a walkthrough and if there were knickknacks or pictures or something special they wanted, they took. And I think he took a TV even. I mean, they just, whatever they wanted, they just took, they, you know, there was no, uh, Oh, gee, I'll ask Grant if I can have this, <laughs> you know, it was, oh, uh, can we take the boat? And we were like, you know, okay, they took the boat. Well, we could have sold the boat and put the money into my mom's account. But, you know, we were all trying to be fair with each other and, you know, do what was right. And if there's something that you wanted to remember her by, you know, go ahead. You, it's, you can have it. And everybody was able to go as many times as they wanted. And when they were done going, then Randy finished empty in the house, which was a lot of work. I bet. He filled a dumpster. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was that much. And the reason why family was allowed to go take things was because Betty and her husband moved into Cindy's. She used part of her home and her garage to build them an apartment. So mm -hmm. that apartment was very small compared to their home. So that's why they couldn't take everything from their home to Cindy's because there just wasn't enough room. So just instead like, of letting go things just go to waste, you know, Randy, Cindy, and, um, you know, Daryl, even the oldest brother came and took what he might, thought he might want or his kids might like something as a memorabilia. So everybody was allowed to have something that they could not take to their home, their new home at Cindy's 
and you know just to remember both their grandparents by right yeah and cindy's house we built uh well her and her husband and their construction crew built they took her family room and half her garage and built the bedroom a room for their dressers a front room a kitchen and a bathroom with a walk-in tub so tell me that's not a great living condition for them it was beautiful my niece and sister my niece rachel even said oh i want to come live there it's so beautiful mm -hmm. and, and everybody agreed that they were supposed to move in with my sister because my other sister doesn't want her my other sister said i will not shed a tear when she dies about my mother now she's got control of her you know, they didn't have a good relationship and i think this is almost her way of getting back at my mother because now she controls who she sees and she knows how much my mother loved me and randy and now we can't see her and she gets to control us not seeing her because she was so happy in court when they had our mom on the stand um my well, mom's on the stand saying horrible things about me and randy and randy was crying because obviously to have your mom saying she said she had said that um my brother stole my dad's tools which is like such a slap in the face anyway and obviously we were all sad about the whole thing and uh they were sitting next to our mother smiling like absolutely filled with joy mm -hmm. I, I used to be a heavy equipment mechanic so i didn't need any tools so most of the tools that were in the garage were given away to whoever wanted them my nephews or whatever they need tools go and take them because i have three sets of tools or whatever i have so many tools but regardless they were left to him in the will yeah my <laughs> so dad it wouldn't uh, have mattered yeah me and my brother got control of the, the garage anything in the garage was me and my brothers so my mom in the hearing she was slamming her fist on the table saying and randy stole all his father's tools now those two were the only two sitting there that would tell her that they mm -hmm. woke her up right before the meeting on zoom so she's so angry you know they had to stop her from talking they were they couldn't take it anymore listening to her the judge did well the judge got her to say what he wanted her to say and that was she hated our guts she hated our guts and she never wanted to see us again so he had he made sure that got put on the record so that his guardian ad litem could keep her isolated from us not give us visitation and begin collecting her money that's how it works so sad is that the judge has no problem with Betty's estate paying three lawyers and a guardian. And do you really think that an 80, well, now she's going to be 88, she's 87 right now, that an 87 year old woman needs three to pay three lawyers and a guardian for her estate? I just think that's a shame mm -hmm. that this allows, this is continuing and he feels she, she needs that many lawyers working on her team getting paid from her estate i think that's a, i think that is a crime in itself mm -hmm. and even from the beginning they lied and they said that my mother who would sometimes answer the remote control as the telephone was suddenly had computer skills enough to find herself a elder attorney call him explain to him that she did not want me as her guardian and hired him now there's no way in the world that this happened and yet the judge allowed this like it was you know normal yeah, he swore to it too in his testimony yeah thomas thomas He's langdon swore that she looked him up and contacted him all by herself and she can't even dial a phone 
but the thing, the thing that we did find out is that Thomas Langland, Amelin, and Cameron are somewhat connected. Somehow they're friends outside of court, and that's probably how Rachel was able to get this connection and get all these lawyers on her side. So it's just, it's so sad how evil and twisted this story is. Mm-hmm. Well, they've, they've gone around telling people that I paid off my house, my niece paid off her house, but my good niece. Um, the one guy on Facebook told me, he says, you're done living high off the hog. I'm like, <laughs> I, I still have a mortgage, you know, over $100,000. I still working seven days a week, 12 hours a day for Chrysler and skilled trades as a millwright. Um, They're I, trying to say that we, we used our mom's money to pay our houses off and all of us have mortgages. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I used to take my mom and dad out to dinner um, once a week. I'd drive 45 minutes, pick them up, take them to dinner. For the last five years, I was taking them out to dinner. My sister says, I wouldn't take him out to dinner. He smells like piss. I said, well, I don't care what he smells like. He's still my, it's still my dad, and I won't be able to see him much longer. So every week, they look forward to me going over there and taking him out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was going over there three times a week, cleaning out the house for a year, throwing stuff out, selling some stuff on Facebook. And I use, I got about $800 from selling stuff at their house. So I used that money to fix up their old house, which we got an extra $20,000 for the house. And that went into my mom's fund. The whole check went right to my mom's account. We got a hundred and, well, we listed it for 159,000. The real estate lady only wanted to list it for 139000 but we sold it in two days for 159000 So I, accounting the legal fee, the realtor fees and stuff, the whole check went right into her account. And our sister went over there and Randy would call her and say, can you meet this person? Because she literally was three blocks from our parents' home. Can you meet this person? I'm selling a couch to them that you'll collect a hundred whatever it was or whatever the item was. She'd go over there, meet them and collect the money and keep it. She didn't do anything with our, for our parents with that money. She couldn't do, she did absolutely nothing in cleaning out the house, nothing. Nothing oh. except what she's done now and trying to act like we're, you know, we stole everything. Yeah, we did Never a lot of work in that house. A lot of work. Uh, we painted the whole interior, sanded all the hardwood floors, repainted them. I fixed the electrical, I fixed the garage door, I fixed the windows. Um, had to put a new bathtub in because we took the walk-in bathtub to my house and then we had to put the new wall tile all around it and it was and, a lot of work. And none of us got paid for doing any of it. We did no. it all just to help my mom out to get her more money for the sale of the house. He, he didn't even get paid. I mean, literally was there for like a year going over there and you know, getting stuff and taking it to the Goodwill, cleaning this out, cleaning that out, painting this, you know, for a year, never got a penny and had two kids at home and a wife and working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. While my sister lived literally blocks from the house, her husband didn't do anything, but go there and take what he wanted. He went in the garage, took what he wanted their son went in, took what he wanted. Both their kids went in, took what they wanted. My sister, my sister, or my niece was taking stuff before we even said we were gonna sell the house because I went to her house one time and they're one of my mom's 
like pictures was hanging on the wall of um, this heavy guy that it was about a diet, you know, going on a diet. So it wasn't like a family picture, but it was like a picture that we always had had in our home, my mom's home all those years and didn't even ask if she could take it, just took it. Yeah, but now she says my mom wants all her belongings back, like uh, the three-wheel bike I got that my mom had. I got it from my wife because she's had seven hip replacements and can't ride a regular bike. So I took the three-wheel bike for her to ride, and then she's putting it on Facebook. Oh, Grand's bike, you got Grand's bike. And, like, what's an 88-year-old woman going to do with a three-wheel bike that can has to use a walker? And when we never rode it. it she she would say you know we we get it out we ride it the girls our our girls when they were young would ride it and i'm like wow that's you know i'd get out and ride it show her that it's you know hey you can get some exercise and she's like holly why don't you just take it home because you you would get use out of it i'm not going to ride it so she said holly why don't you just take that bike and ride it because i'd rather you get some use out of it because i'm not going to ride it so randy said would after i had a you know my sixth hip replacement do you want that bike and I'm like yeah I would I would ride it and get use out of it so I do my and mom would ride that too. bike when she bought it my dad bought it for her and it's harder to ride than a regular bike because you have to have a lot of strength in your leg to be able to push the pedals and she didn't have that strength she's weak and I'm pretty sure she's even weaker now than she was when she bought it so mm -hmm. there's no way you know you know, was this niece always a problem in your family? Yes. And, and, and when did that start? Birth, basically. Oh. <laughs> she was always a hard child, always just bratty and, you know, um, out of control. If she didn't get what she wanted, she pitched a fit, crying all the time. But I did my best with her. I gave her, I mean, I did so much with her. I gave so much of my time to her. She was the first granddaughter. She was the first, my first niece. And I fought the world of her. I did everything for her. Yeah. And even as a teenager, once she came, became a teenager, it got a lot worse where she, my, they were on vacation, my sister, her husband and their son, my niece wanted to use the phone and my sister told her no and she slapped my sister across the face. And that's the kind of stuff she started doing. And then you'd call her and you'd say, well, where's she at? And my sister would say, well, I don't know. I can't ask her. She'll get mad. So, you know, you've got a teenager just running amok because the mother can't even ask her where she's going at night, you know? She just did whatever she wanted to do. And she was that way. She, I think she moved out at 17. She was married and pregnant at 18. Wait, can I interrupt eight, just a moment? Um, when Randy and I got married in 2000, she, Karen, Rachel's mom, was having issues with her. We were newlyweds and I offered, I said, Karen, you need to get Rachel away from the man she was dating who was 10 years older than her. She was, I think, 15, 16 at the time. He had just gotten out of jail. I said, why don't you bring her, have her just move in with us. We have three bedrooms. We just had gotten married. I said, she can go to school here. I'll help with her. You know, we'll, oh, oh, I can't do that. I said, Karen, I'm not asking you for anything. You can just give her some spending money during the week. I said, just let her come live with us, finish school, get her away from that bad influence. And she said, that's just too much work. I'm not going to do it. 
and we offered her to come live with us, which was like 45 minutes away from where she lived, get her away from that guy. She didn't have a car, so she wouldn't be able to really drive and see him. We were trying to help her, and she said that was just too much effort to do that. And I'm like, there's, you don't have to do anything. You can come visit her. You can talk to her. We'll, we'll help you try and break her away from this bad influence person who then ended up getting her pregnant. And, but Karen didn't want anything to do. It was just, it was too much effort apparently for her to have us help her. I don't know. But then it's just, it's always been the same thing. She would start fights, get mad at my mom and dad, not speak to them for six months, a year, not speak to her mom and dad. If they didn't give her what she wanted, then, oh, I'm not talking to them. Uh, one year we were throwing a Christmas party for people in need at our business. We hosted this big party for like 150 families. So there was like 300 people involved and she was uh, never managed her money. Right. And obviously she was just not doing well at all. And instead of her, um, you know, I don't know, whatever. She wrote on Facebook that the Hayes family didn't know the meaning of Christmas. She said she was in need, but where was her family? We were helping others. And yes. it was like such a slap in the face. And my brother Randy called her out on it on Facebook and so did my daughter. And they were just like, you know, you're just a spoiled, you know, selfish person. And then they didn't talk for like, I don't know what, four years or something. <laughs> And then I, and, and I was the one that encouraged everyone to talk to her again, because I didn't even talk to her for a year after that. And I wasn't even involved in the fight that they had. It wasn't like even a, wasn't a fight. It wasn't a fight. I just told her the truth. Right. But I mean, for her, it was a fight. Nobody tells her no. Yeah. She said she wasn't going to show up for Christmas because we didn't know the thing and she didn't have money to buy her kids presents. I said, you're more than welcome to come to Christmas and I'll buy your kids all the presents that they want and you won't have to bring anything. But she still didn't show up. Nope. I mean, I can't tell you how many Christmases she missed. About four, I think. Birthdays, Christmases, Easter, where she just, you know, don't get her way, so she's not coming. Well, Cindy and, also. And also, oops, I'm sorry. Um, she also would fight with her grandmother that she abducted. Her grandmother even called Child Protective Services on her at one time. And then she, because she felt she wasn't taking proper care of her son, who she had at 17. Well, Cindy, Cindy also offered to donate a kidney to her husband, too, because her husband had, he was in kidney failure. So Cindy volunteered and signed up to donate a kidney, but she wasn't eligible because she was, because she had kidney stones. But uh, she was complaining about everybody in the family that nobody give her husband a kidney. She called her her sister-in-law out she called her mom dad out she called them both stupid and it just goes on and on with her mm -hmm. and she's an only child no, no. she has a brother she has a sister an older sister that through another um, marriage yeah and she's only like 14 years young no how old 14 years younger than me i think 13 years younger than me so she's quite a bit older than her and um, no, I don't think she's that much. I don't know, but it's an older sister and it's a, it's a half sister. And 
you know, now all of a sudden she gets to see she's there's no blood relation and she sees our mother and we don't. Well, she also has a younger brother who has had a rough life too. He was a drug deal. He got into drugs. He was a drug dealer, went to, had to go to jail, ended up moving out of state to get away from the drug dealers that, you know, he, whatever, just tried to make a new life. And I mean, so, and she was extremely jealous that her son, her brother got so much attention um, from her mom. She would always complain about everything is all about Josh, my brother, Josh, and I don't get any attention. She would actually say that to us. And she was really jealous of my daughter too, because my mom just adored my daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the family dynamics. <laughs> but it, it's just that part. It, the rest of us get along real good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't have any issues. No. We never, my, just... me and my sister never fought. We were always close because she would say, Rachel's not talking to me again. And I'd say, well, it's okay, you know, just stay with us, come with us, you know, if it was Mother's Day, come out with me and mom and my daughter. And she'd comment, oh, I wish, you know, Rachel was like Katie. And I'd say, you know, one day maybe she, she'll stop doing this. Maybe she will be. And oh, no, she won't. I mean, I just, I can't even fathom that this is the same sister that we grew up with that is doing this to us. I, mean, I just, I can't even imagine. It's just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. to all of us. My oldest brother in Tennessee, he can't believe it. Um, it's just, it's so out of character for her even to do this, you mm -hmm. know, but I think she was always so desperate to have a relationship with her daughter that she'd do anything. And when me and her got in the fight, that's what it, you know, that was her prime opportunity. We can get her. Yeah, she stopped talking to me too because of their fight, because I wouldn't take her side in it. Mm -hmm. But we still invite her to everything. I invite her to my daughter's graduation, my daughter's birthday party. She wouldn't show up because Cindy was gonna be there. And it's like, well, it's up to you. I, you're more than welcome to come. But then she just stopped talking to me too. So I never did nothing to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of this going on in other families as well, uh, you know, a really harsh personality disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, well, she's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. But she, she tells everybody else, she posts things about narcissists and trying to say that Cindy's the narcissist. And, but she's the narcissist. She tries to control everybody. And yep, she just likes creating, you know, confusion and strife and between everybody. Well, with her taking your mother, that kind of backfired on her because then a guardian ad litem came into the came right. into play. Well, I think the guardian ad litem, like, is they're so um, I don't even know how to say it, but I think they lie to them that they're going to get this money. Oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna stick up for you, and you know, you just go along with what we're saying and. Uh, and I think they even lied to them and told them that I, that I stole the money because um, they were saying, oh, we saw, the, we saw the bank statements. I saw the withdrawals. And I'm like, I mean, first of all, they should have had no access to any of that. But here the guardian ad litem is sitting down showing them the bank statement. 
But again, if all you have is the bank statement, you have nothing. If it just shows you withdrawals, if you don't know what the withdrawals are for and you don't have receipts to back them up, what are your withdrawals? They're meaningless, mm-hmm. you know? So I, well, I just, I don't you know. know. We had caregivers going over there um, a couple times a week for my mom and my dad. Um, my dad had dementia so bad he didn't know who we were and he could hardly walk at the end. Um, he passed away and then my mom had to mention she needed people to look after her too. And we're like, you, you have to hire somebody. So Cindy went and got two caregivers that my mom really, really liked. And so we paid them out of my mom's account. So that's what the withdrawals were. And my mom liked going to Kroger too. So that's more of the withdrawals. So the GAL is like, oh, I can't believe that um, lady would spend that much at Kroger a week. It's like, well, my mom always bought good stuff. Cindy didn't have my mom pay for anything at the house except for her Kroger bill, the caregivers, and her medicines. That's it. She didn't charge her for cable. She didn't charge her for electricity. She didn't charge her rent. She, she was living there for free. Mm-hmm. Cindy even bought her uh, they call it, um, I think like a grand, grand pad, so that seniors, um, anyone can send messages. They can even call her on this machine, but you can send her a picture, like just to keep her involved in your kid's life. Like, cause we live like almost an hour away when she lived with Cindy. So we could send her pictures of the girls, like first day of school or, you know, uh, something at church that they were doing. Cindy paid $50 a month out of her own money to have that device for all the family to send to keep communication with their grandmother and grandfather. Cindy never charged her for that. Cindy did that just out of the kindness of her heart so that Betty and Cleve could be connected to their family mm-hmm. because they weren't driving anymore. And my, uh, my niece runs a daycare out of her house too with uh, 12 kids there every day. So she's not even seeing my mom during the day. She's hiring somebody that we had fired before that was watching my mom because she was into prescription drugs and doing some other weird stuff and wouldn't take care of my mom, dad. She left and left my dad there. My dad got out and was found two blocks away because of her. And Rachel even said that she wasn't in the right mind either as a caregiver. But she's over there now, you know, watching my mom. She rehired someone that we fired because they, she left my dad alone for four hours and he left. We found him in the rain in December in Michigan, crying on somebody's lawn. And that's when we said, we need to move him. He needs to come. We, it's either a nursing home or our house. And we knew he wouldn't have lasted a week in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And well, my- when he died, he was surrounded by people that loved him coming every week. Everybody was coming and visiting him. And Randy was taking him out every week still. My niece wanted to have them move with her. And she was over three hours away then where she lived before. And she, wanted, she said, I would only charge like 3000 a month to keep him here. So she wanted to charge us to watch our parents. And then we wouldn't get to see them because they'd be three hours one way from us. And I told her, if you want to see them, then you need to move closer because we're not, they're not moving to your house. And she was going to charge us. She wanted the brothers and sisters to pay a total of $6,000 a month, $3,000 per parent. We out of our own pocket to, for her 
to have them live with her that we would probably never hardly ever see because they were over three hours away. I have no words. That sounds so <laughs> off. Who, who does the something like this? I don't. Uh, I, I, I knew she was going to do it. I told her a couple of years before this even happened. I said, she's, she's going to try and get control of her, of the parents, mom and dad, watch her. But she thought I was, Cindy thought I was crazy. Oh, you're, you're just over imagining. Not that I thought he was crazy. It's more that <laughs> This was this, the niece that I helped raise and that mm -hmm. I had done so much for. I just could not imagine that she would do something so cruel and so heartless to our family. We've always been a close family. How do you turn on your own family like this to this, to this degree? I mean, mm -hmm. who, like you said, who does this? Mm -hmm. If you gave her a kidney for her husband, she'd still have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. She still would have did the same thing to us. I'm so sorry, you know. Um. And if the courts weren't so corrupt, my mom would have been home that first week. If the GAL had done her job, she would have come to my house. She would have seen what we had built for my mother. I mean, we had to raise the floor from the garage to meet the regular foundation of the house. We had to put in insulation. We had to put in headers. We had to put in uh, um, electrical ducts. Plumbing electrical plumbing everything it was a huge undertaking and she would have seen that if she had come here and she would have seen how well cared for she was and how loved she was it was the perfect place for her and if she had picked up the telephone and said well randy can you tell me about you know this situation your uh, you know niece has taken your mother and she's saying that your sister stole or what's your thoughts or mm -hmm. called my brother daryl she never called anybody and told me within that first week, do not call me, text me, or email me ever again. So I'm, I'm not even allowed to even talk to this woman to show, you know, to explain anything. Then she goes into court and talks about how I'm a thief. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, and I had her pegged that first, the first couple weeks because immediately when it happened and, and she wouldn't listen to us or talk to us or come to my house, I started researching her online and that's when I found these five part series called The Fortress and she was in it. She was in it multiple times and it explained the corruption in probate court. And I, I, I called Randy and I said, you're not going to believe this. This whole thing is just so corrupt. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him about it and, and we were just, I mean, my husband was like, oh, Cindy, you know, it can't be. But every single thing I said was happening in our case everything ex parte hearings i know you know talks behind closed doors where we don't know anything about it and you know decisions being made without us my uh, mother was in the hospital she lost 23 pounds and was in the hospital with sepsis i found out told randy to get to the hospital he gets to the hospital and my mom says you know before she's saying she hates our guts never wants to see us again sees him at the hospital and says where have you been? Mm -hmm. And and the nurse is making him a bed to spend the night. Good old guardian of light and Melinda Cameron finds out and has him thrown out of the hospital. Well, Rachel, Rachel called and I answered the phone. And she says, who is this? I said, well, you know who this is. Then she says, I want to speak to Gran right now. And I hung up on her. I said, she, I said, she's sleeping. I hung up on her. 20 minutes later, security came up to the room, threw me out of the room. And the next day I go back to visit and 
security says, you're not on the list, you can't see her. Then they threw me off the property, said, you, yeah, we want you off the property for seeing my own mother. That was St. Joseph's Hospital in- um, Chelsea. Chelsea. And then if she would call, if we would call, it would just ring and ring and ring. So we'd have to call the nurse and the nurse would say, oh, it was off the hook or, oh, her, her ringer was uh, turned down. Then she started paying this caregiver that she had fired, you know, that we had all fired before to come and sit in the hospital while they weren't there to babysit the phone to make sure we didn't get on there to call our mother so that the isolation could continue. And I said, well, this is our, you know, now that they see how horrible she did taking care of her, that she let a UTI go septic, they're going to bring her, you know, we'll get her back now. Nope. They let her go right back to the same place that allowed her to get sepsis without any therapy or anything. Because the, the OT and the PT and the uh, yeah, OT and PT recommended that she go to in-house uh, rehab. And she, she agreed she was going to do it and then took her home the next morning. Well, and you know what's amazing about Melinda Cameron after we've done a lot of research on her? She is probably the, she is the highest paid lawyer in Michigan for the last five to six years. And can you believe she doesn't even have an office? So I don't know how, what she's doing to be the highest paid lawyer in Michigan, but this woman is doing this to so many families. Well, she gets case after case after case after case, just handed to her by Judge Freddie Burton Jr. And she doesn't have to do anything. She didn't have to come to my house. She didn't have to call my brother. She didn't have to do any investigation at all. And she gets a check, you know, every time she shows up on a Zoom. She don't even have to drive to the courthouse anymore. She does it on Zoom and gets paid for all of that. Mm -hmm. But she's also in multiple counties, too. She's in yeah. uh, Macomb County, Oakland County, Wayne County. And who knows what else she's doing. Yep. So she's just... We went and protested her her office, and then we went in her office to talk to her. They said, she's, she's not here. She only gets her mail here. And <laughs> after she told us in court, she was so afraid because we were talking about her on Facebook, and she was so afraid she couldn't even go in her office for two weeks. And because she, she was trying to act like we were just so intimidating and we were just so scary. And, you know, she was afraid of us that she didn't go in her office for two weeks. Come to find out she ain't, hasn't been to her office in years because she don't have an office. She just mm -hmm. gets her mail there. It's just, it's like laughable. Mm -hmm. And you know, the judge knew that while he mm -hmm. allowed her to sit in court and say that she was afraid to go into her office. He knew she didn't have an office. You know, because he mm -hmm. handpicked her to be the guardian ad litem. And then she handpicked the uh, court-appointed attorney, Terry Jordan, and they handpicked Family Option Services to be the uh, guardian. Do you know how many wards she has? I mean... I don't know. I've heard a lot. Mm -hmm. We do know that she has, there are six people listed at her home address that don't have the same name as her. So we That's don't the know. guardian ad litem though. That's not the guardian. Oh, okay. The guardian. Yes. Yeah. I how many wards? I don't think, I don't know how many wards she has, but I, I know there's a lot of cases that have the same guardian ad litem, the same uh, judge and the same um, 
guardian. You know, they all have the same and they all have the same element of corruption. There was one in, there was one case that I heard about that the family option services took the man from the hospital. He was there for a head injury, took him to the hospital, to his bank and had him withdraw $15,000. Now who does that? And then he wasn't getting any of his social security checks, you know? And I never did get to link up with him, but, um, you know, cause we've been spinning our wheels just with my mom's case because we were trying to meet other people that were going through with the same people that we have, but you know, they just keep us spinning our wheels. I've handed in my accounting like four times. And I just found out the other day when we were in court that my accounting's still not good enough for Melinda Cameron. She wants me to do it where, so like I said, I built it, we built an entire grand pad. So we have Home Depot, Menards, Lowe's, uh, you know, receipts for, you know, a ton of things. She wants it to be, first she told me she wanted it all to be um, on a spreadsheet. So we have it on a spreadsheet. Then she wanted it by year. Well, we have it by year. Well, now she's saying she wants the receipt next to the entry. Well, each one of my receipts are like a page long. You know, it's a page. It's a, a receipt from Menards. Some of them are, you have to cut the receipt mm -hmm. in half because it was so long and just for one page. Well, how are you going to put that on an entry next to something on a spreadsheet? Because I copied every receipt, scanned it all, put it on a, a thumb drive and, you know, downloaded it all and sent a heart, you know, the copy to her. So she has every single receipt there was. She's mm -hmm. got every year broken down. I said, I'm not the, I was never the fiduciary or whatever. I wasn't like the conservator. I was the POA, the DPOA that kept my parents safe and moved them here to keep them safe. And I'm giving you the receipts. You do your job, look at it, look at the withdrawals and mm -hmm. you, you know, there's your proof. But it's not good this enough. This is Melinda Cameron's chance. way of stalling to mm -hmm. continue to keep getting paid. Buy Betty's estate. Every she keeps making up excuses as to why it's not good enough. It, it's, it's it's shameful what they do. And she and wants sanctions. Hearing is three months away. She wants sanctions all the time too. She's oh, like she wanted sanctions because she had to go to uh, the Jackson Zoom. Well. You were sitting in your home again, you know, on Zoom. You went nowhere and you didn't have to do that. You shouldn't have done that. That, mm -hmm. that was a completely different um, jurisdiction. And he's a judge. A judge should have every right to do whatever he wants to do. And he could see through it. Where even if Freddie Burton, uh, Judge Freddie Burton Jr. saw through it, he ignored everything he saw. He ignored everything he saw and let Melinda Cameron run the courtroom. Whatever she said, he, you know, it was good. And if I opened my mouth, he said, I'm going to mute you. And he'd mute me. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak to defend myself. He told me a daughter-in-law of 22 years. I've known Betty for over 30 that I was not an interested party and was not allowed to speak. So this last time in the court hearing, when I tried to speak, he said, I'm not going to listen to you. You're not interested party. I said, excuse me. I told him the same thing. I've been married to her. I've known her for 22 years. I was a part-time caregiver. And I said, then I want it on the record that you are silencing me. Mm -hmm. And he did end up letting me speak in that court hearing, but he doesn't, he always tells interested people that are family, 
you'll have your turn to speak. But then when we want to speak, he doesn't let us. It's been a year and I've just now been able to start voicing anything in the last two hearings. Yeah. Very minimal. And this, this last hearing last week was the first time anyone was able to even uh, call me as a witness. And it was my husband. Yeah. But I am not an interested party. My daughter, the guardian Latham talked about my daughter throughout her last, uh, so the last um, report she sent in, she sent it in the night before we went to court and I got it that the night before and I was blown away. She said, I spoke to Betty for 30 minutes and Betty said, Cindy's all about money. Like that's all I care about is money. Now I don't see my mother ever saying that about me. I've never been somebody that, oh, I'd be the one that say, oh, let me pay for it. That's my all about money. That's not me mm -hmm. taking anyone's money. That's me being generous and, oh, what can I give? What can I do, you know? And then she just said all this stuff about us and included my daughter. And when my daughter tried to speak, he said she wasn't an interested party either. But yet Melinda Cameron is including her in a report, but she's not an interested party. When, when my parents bought their house in Garden City, Cindy gave them $129,000 to buy the house. And when they sold their house, they sold their house in Detroit for 80 some thousand or 80,000, whatever, they gave Cindy the 80,000 and never repaid the rest of the money because Cindy didn't need the money. So now they're trying to say Cindy stole money, which is just ridiculous. She saved money too on building the grand pad. It was only 40 some thousand. She had an estimate for $150,000 to have a company build it, but she built it with her contractor people and saved my, my husband found money. people that could do it cheaper. So we just had to pay them per hour instead of paying like a company a ton mm -hmm. of money that makes all the money. We paid the three people that, that, you know, actually did the work, the money. And then my husband worked and I worked and we just got it. We tried to get it done as fast as possible because my father was leaving the house. So I'm running over there, you know, to give them their pills in the morning. We're running back over there at night to give them their pills at night, you know, calling all day, you know, just checking on them all the time, trying to balance that as we're trying to get the house going. And I'm running to Home Depot looking for tile, you know, going and looking for paint, going and looking for cupboards for the little kitchen. Cause I knew my mom would want a kitchen. So we mm -hmm. built like the kitchenette. So we, we wanted to make the move as easy as possible for them. So they would think this is your house. This is your house now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And instead of going into a nursing home, you know, that I think would have devastated both of them. Mm -hmm. They had dog, they had a dog they brought and everything. Now the dog's gone. He died. And I don't even know. They stole the dog when they stole my mom. And um, we don't even know what happened. My mom had mentioned something about the dog fell off my sister's lap and had had a seizure or something, but they never took the dog to the vet. So we don't even know what he actually died from. And my I poor mom, he had two seizures that night, but even knowing that the dog should be on seizure medication, they didn't take the dog to the vet. And he, he was dead the next morning. Terrible. And my poor mom don't even know he's dead still. She, I mean, she knew he was dead, mm -hmm. I guess. And because that's what she told us. But mm -hmm. now she's telling my son that she, he's missing. She doesn't know where he is because she has dementia. But yet mm -hmm. my niece has the audacity to go to court and say she doesn't have dementia. Now, I mean, 
if you sat with her for five minutes, you would know she has dementia. She mm -hmm. would repeat herself over and over again. And she talks about things. She'll ask me and Randy when she would see us about something that happened at a neighbor's house before we were born. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you remember neighbor so-and-so? And I'm like, no. Well, you know, he lived on 15th Street or something. And me and Randy were like, you know, mom, we weren't born yet. Oh, okay. And then, you know, she just goes on about something else. But she, and then she'd do the same thing the next day. Every single person knew she had dementia. But she got away with telling the guardian and the guardian had lied. And there's no way she didn't know she has dementia. She did what she did to keep, so she could get paid. And instead of the court-appointed attorney doing an investigation, knowing the guardian ad litem didn't, she didn't do an investigation. She rode in a car uh, two hours out to my nieces to speak with my mother and came to the same conclusion as the guardian ad litem, you know, without seeing the grandpad, without talking to me, without talking to my, she didn't even talk to me. The guardian mm -hmm. ad litem talked to me one time but this lady didn't talk to any of us or come to the house. She didn't even know who we are. She no. came from one other person. Um, and it's funny now, the courts label my mom as incapacitated. Well, that's, that's funny. She didn't have dementia, but now she's incapacitated. Mm -hmm. She but wasn't. She, she, she was, was in the first place. She had her mind when she wanted, the, she, she would tell them she wanted to live with Rachel and that she hated our guts. She had her mind. But now that they want to collect her money and take it all, now she's incapacitated. Mm -hmm. It's whatever works for the, them to get their money. From the people I've talked to, I noticed that is a distinct pattern. Yep. On every, every, it's like they have a playbook that they all go by. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who you talk to, it's going to be almost the exact same thing verbatim, except different players. Mm -hmm exact same thing like our guardian ad litem we went to court last week and randy is pro se he asked why is the guardian ad litem still on the case 13 months later because she's supposed to do an uh, initial investigation give her report and she's done especially with my mother having an attorney mm -hmm. 13 months later she's still on and the judge said well that's because of the complexity of this case and then randy said but she never did an investigation. She didn't go to Cindy's. She didn't talk to me and she didn't talk to my brother. And he came back with, we're not about, we're not here about that. We're here about visitation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so even when it's the corruptions brought to their fate, you know, right into their, they can't deny it. They just change the subject. Oh, definitely. Well, we went to court one time and a judge threatened us with, uh, indefinite imprisonment if we misbehaved. He had three deputies there watching us the whole time, telling us not to speak. Um, he was quite, quite um, intimidating with us. We didn't know what to do. He came up to my husband, came up to my husband and he had like a camouflage bandana on, came up to my husband and got in his face and said, what part of be quiet don't you understand? And my husband's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. My sister and my niece are sitting with the court-appointed attorney laughing really loud, mm -hmm. and we couldn't even talk together. And that was during a recess thing, you know, we were on a break. 
And then we go back and my husband's telling my attorney that he wants him to object to something. And that same um, sheriff comes over and kicks my husband out. So then I'm just sitting there by myself and then Randy's behind me and we're being told that they want to arrest us for, um, uh, you know, if, if we're not agreeing with everything that they say. And, you know, that's when they permanently appointed the guardian. You couldn't say nothing. And he's like, oh, and, and you, want, you want to uh, rescind your asking for guardianship, right? And then Randy had asked, was petitioning the court, um, uh, what was it for, Randy? Um, I don't know, I had a couple of petitions in there for, to have my niece investigated for all the stuff that she did, but he had me withdraw all the complaints. Yeah. He said, you want to withdraw all that, right? And what were we going to do? We were in court and they had these people ready to arrest us. You know, we were told to bring our toothbrush. That's what they said. Mm -hmm. I've never been in jail in my life for anything. You know, and my, um, and Randy's a Marine and I had a daughter at the time that was pregnant. She since had her baby. It was two weeks before Christmas. You know, what, what are you supposed to do? We were so scared that we were like, you know, whatever they want, you know, we'll do. And, mm. and you, but you're being told how corrupt this is the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's a big extortion scheme. Yes. Well, then they mandated us to have vaccines with uh, not with the booster, but I couldn't be vaccinated because I have a aneurysm on my aorta and I didn't want to get a blood clot and mm -hmm. have that go. My daughter couldn't get it because she has autoimmune, you know, and she's allergic to a lot of stuff too. So we had agreed to it, but then we thought that we could get a, you know, exemption from that, mm -hmm. but they said no. So that's another reason why we haven't seen her. And that was in December. So and I wasn't vaccinated at the time because, or my son or my husband, because we had just had COVID and we had, they told, we were told we had to wait so long to get it. So we weren't even allowed to be vaccinated until January. Then you don't get the next shot till February. And my niece's attorney was trying to say that we'd have to have the booster too, which would have been another six months, which it, it defeats the whole purpose of getting a vaccine to begin with. If you have to have a booster, because you don't need a booster until it's, you know, supposedly not working anymore. Mm -hmm. but, but my niece runs a daycare out of the house with none of the kids vaccinated. And she takes her to Chuck E. Cheese. She takes her to, you know, Target, wherever, grocery stores. You know, what's the difference whether we see her and we could never take her out. We couldn't take her out of the house either. We had to visit her at her house. And she's post, posting thing on Etsy and stuff like that, that she has a gun and she's going to shoot people that don't come to her house that, you know, that aren't invited. So we're like, we're not going to her house because she said she's got a gun, she's gonna shoot people. And she's a narcissist. So mm -hmm. you know, we're not gonna visit some my mom at her house when she's the one that abducted her. But my husband and my two sons actually did go for a visitation in February. And my sister and her husband were there just to cause trouble because they're not supposed to be there. This is supposed to be a private visit just for my, you know family. And I said, I'm not going because I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. But my son's a police officer. So he's like, you know, I'll go. And then my husband would go and they'll see how it is. And if they think that I'd be able to do it, then we could make, an, you know, do another one where I would go. Well, my son that has the seizures was absolutely like 
so uncomfortable. He felt like he was going to have a seizure there. It was just such a hostile environment. Mm -hmm. They, they kept coming in the room. They were listening to what they were saying. My niece came Mm -hmm. in and was saying, tell him you want your jewelry, grand, tell him you want your jewelry. And, Mm -hmm. um, and my mom couldn't hear. So her hearing aids had dead batteries. And my husband called Randy and Holly because Randy hadn't even been able to talk to my mother because they won't answer his phone, their phone calls at all. So he was, you know, trying to let them get a visit in, you know, as little as it is just on a telephone, just so he could talk to his mom and she couldn't hear anything he said. So my husband's trying to, you know, talk really loud so she could hear. And my sister comes in and starts videotaping him and tells them that he was standing over my mother berating her, which was completely not true because Holly and Randy were right there watching on the, you know, they were uh, on the phone call. So they, you know, so they could see it. So, and then they tried to use that in court that my husband was berating them. But luckily my attorney was able to have my husband and son, you know, testify that that was not true. And my ne- my sister lied on the stand and said she did not videotape them. She said, I had my hands crossed like this, but I mean, they had witnesses. Everyone saw it. How is um, Carolyn's law going to help you? Well, it's supposed to get you in uh, within 10 days, an evidentiary hearing and visitation with your loved one. Well, that's, that's for New York though. Yes, it is for New York, but we're hoping that the, you know, it'll take up the same bill too. Yes. We'd love to see guardianship abolished, period. Mm-hmm. But a start is, you know, taking a look at this bill. 10 days, within 10 days, we would have been able to see our mother. And my mother would have known that we didn't lie to her, that mm-hmm. we didn't steal her money. But with them being able to keep her hostage at their house, they were able to fill her mind and, you know, fill it with all these lies where Carolyn's bill, we would have got in within 10, you know, 10 days. And you get an evidentiary, evidentiary hearing within 10 days in front of the judge. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it would definitely help us. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope soon. Uh, I'm sorry you're going through this, but you know, I'm glad you came on and I'd like to have you all back on again for Thank an you. update, Thank if you, you would like. Yes. Um, because a lot of people don't realize that uh, they're sitting ducks. They, this can happen to anyone. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you got a if you're appointed guardian and you have a trust, the judge can throw all that out and take you. Power of attorney. No, if 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 the if you have guardianship over your mother and you have a trust with your mother, the judge can still come and suspend all that. Or a power of attorney though. It could yeah. be anything. You could have a guardian, you could be guardian of your mother, you could have power of attorney. Like I had durable power of attorney. He stripped me of that suspended me of that the very first week. Why? Because my niece had PPOs against us. So like the whole thing was done, you know, the whole PPO thing is another thing that is almost, it's almost in every single case. Mm -hmm. Nothing will protect you, nothing. No, 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 because there's no oversight. No one oversees what they're doing in probate court at all. No jury. And 
No, there's nothing. They, they, they just run them up. They do whatever they want to do. And there's no oversight to tell them, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. They just, whatever they want. So wrong. Yes. So wrong. Because it's, well, it's your mother and you, you, you can't get this time back. We'll never mm -hmm. get these last 13 months back. My mother missed two weddings. She missed the birth of my, my granddaughter, which is her great granddaughter. And she was always close to my mother. She's missing uh, Randy's uh, daughter's graduation. And we have another um, grandson whose wife is pregnant now. Mm -hmm. um, just missing out on so much and just visiting with us, going out to dinner and, you know, mm -hmm. everything. We missed mm -hmm. Christmas. Randy's birthday was yesterday. Not even a phone call. Nothing. My birthday, no phone mm -hmm. call. Nothing. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is yeah. terrible. And it's and, your and mother. They don't care. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I'm sure you probably have people contacting you. How do you want to be contacted if anyone has any questions? Well, we have a page, Justice for Betty Hayes, mm -hmm. on Facebook. And um, we are real good about answering any messages on there if they want to send us a message. And all the information's on there, too, about my mom and what happened. That's the revocation good. documents on there and you know Text a lot of things is all that everything that we went through is all on there yeah okay and i'll put that in the podcast notes okay okay so um don't jump off slam the gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms i'm your host marianne petri author of dismantling family court corruption why taking the kids was not enough and cry out for justice poems of truth please join us again here in the future with cynthia misfit holly and randy hayes i thank you all for being here and talking on the show thank you thank you thanks